Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello, and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, we've got a masterclass, um, a masterclass on the topic of burnout. So I'm delighted to have with me Robert Bogue, and he is the CEO of Thor Projects, and also the author of the book, Extinguish Burnout. So Robert, thank you so much for being with me this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me. This morning for you, although it's not that early in the morning because you're an early riser. Yes, that that is true. <laughs> it is, uh, it, it's getting to be mid-morning for me. Absolutely. So would you like to tell me a little bit about yourself and a bit about the background to the book that you've written? I know you've put more than one book, but uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so um, I actually started as a technologist. Uh, my background is is technology. In fact, I've I've been uh, Microsoft MVP for 17 years and certified trainer and on and on and on. And uh, I, I've been doing that for for quite some time. We do uh, a fair amount of organizational change work that grew out of that technology work. Um, and we wrote this book. My wife and I, uh, Terry, wrote this book for Sherm last year called Extinguish Burnout. Uh, and for UK listeners, Sherm is the American CIPD, I think, isn't it? Professional the, body for HR. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 the uh, Society for Human Resource Management. Let's let's say it that way. Yeah, and so uh, we we started talking about burnout. It's it's kind of funny because we started with burnout. Um, I first wrote about it in 2005. Uh, as a technologist, I got burnout. Uh, we were doing all kinds of things and it just really didn't feel right. And so I started writing about it. And then we had a situation here at home where Terry was feeling very burnt out. She felt like she had no control and she felt exhausted by it. And I went to go and try and help her and realized I didn't have enough tools, right? Like I was just not equipped to support her in the right way. And so I started doing some research and then the two of us were talking about conflict and the person said something about burnout. Terry lit up, I lit up, and we, and, and that sort of spawned writing the book and talking about burnout and what you can do to get past it, what it is. So how would you, I mean, it's such a relevant topic right now, isn't it? I think there's a lot of people who are feeling um, that they are getting to burnout, but I was thinking, we almost know what it is. Is it a level of ongoing stress to the fact that you'd stop being productive or is it related to um, mental illness, how would you define it? Is it just another name for something else or what's the definition? Yeah, so so let me take that in pieces. So first piece is the World Health Organization call, it basically uses uh, Christina Maslach's framework uh, from the burnout inventory that she did with Susan Jackson. And it is a exhaustion, it is cynicism, and it is inefficacy. Uh, and so now let me tear that apart uh, because this is where we think that, you know, this is really, that's an interesting definition, but it's not very practical, right? So the, the problem with exhaustion is we've all done things 
which we've loved. We've been having the times of our lives and we say it's on vacation, on holiday, and you come home or you come to the hotel room and you collapse. Were you in yeah. burnout? Well, no, absolutely not. You just had the time of your life. Yeah. So exhaustion is a really bad one. Cynicism, um, cynicism is a result. Cynicism yeah. is what happens when you no longer feel like you can influence or control the situation. So we're, we get cynical because we don't have any efficacy. And so it's that yeah. inefficacy that's really at the heart. Now, before I explain inefficacy, I should say that the World Health Organization limits the scope of burnout to work. We don't believe that's true. We believe you can become burnout in any aspect of your life, whether it's home, whether it's your community involvement, what, it could be work, but it, it's about life. It's not about the, the job. So inefficacy is interesting because you can connect that to the work of Marty Seligman. So Marty and his peers were working with dogs and he, and he came up with this thing, long, learned helplessness, right? And we've since learned that that isn't actually learned helplessness. It's actually a, a failure to learn control, basically a failure to learn hope. And so we, we have this inefficacy. Well, that inefficacy, that feeling that we can't do anything is the thing that drives, we believe, drives burnout. It also happens to be at the core of depression as well. There's a lot of research that's starting to say that burnout and depression are, if not the same thing, they're very closely related. Um, so, so from a definition for burnout, exhaustion, cynicism, and inefficacy, but really focus on the inefficacy piece. And if you feel yeah. like you're ineffective, like a lot of people do today, that's going to cause you to potentially end up in burnout. So that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I'm thinking about some of the smaller stress management tips that we've talked about. And also I've talked on the podcast before about the seven habits. I used to be a trainer of the seven habits. And the first one was about um, focusing on what you can control yep. in terms of be proactive. And many of us have said where people in this situation where initially going into lockdown, people had very little control over it. So therefore focus on the bits that you can control, the bits that you can be efficacious over. Yep. And that in theory can prevent stress which I presume sustained stress would probably link to as it can link to depression it could link to burnout the same sort of <clears throat> yeah stress is an interesting thing because everybody wants to tie they, they want to tie uh, burnout and depression to stress directly but it's actually an indirect relationship and here's what I right. mean by that so stress is a payday loan now I don't know if you have payday loans over there but yeah. in the United States they're really expensive and you only do it when you really get into a bind. <clears throat> you say, okay, well, why do you call it a payday loan? Because from a biological standpoint, it is making long-term uh, negative for short-term positive, right? We shut down digestion. We shut down our, our immune system because, you know what? If I don't survive that lion chasing me, none of that stuff's going to matter. Yeah. The problem is, as humans, we assume that to being, oh, mortgage, and maybe I lose my job, and what's going to happen? And so we, we stay in these stressful states for much, much longer than nature ever intended for us to do that. So what happens is we get stressed, we make choices which have short-term positive, long-term negative impacts, but then when we go to evaluate on the long-term, we go, we're not very effective. Well, 
Right, because you're driving with the brakes on, right? Like you're 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 pouring away all this energy that that you're not accounting for. And so, so yes, absolutely. Stress is one of those factors, one of those things that they say, yeah, do that to prevent depression and burnout. And it's true. Totally get it. But you have to understand why that is. Why is that working? And then, and then you can start to have different conversations about what do I do about it? And so the other thing about stress that most people don't know or don't think about, they may know it intuitively, but they just don't, don't tear it apart. Stress is actually two pieces. There's piece number one, which is the stressor. It is the thing in the environment, in the space that you live, that you have to react to. The second piece is your assessment. And this is actually exactly what you were just talking about. Deal with the things that you can control, right? And so the assessment is two pieces. And in the assessment, first is what's the impact of the the stressor, right? Is it going to be negative? Is it definitely negative? Is it hugely negative? And then the second is what are my capacities? What are my resources to work around it? And so when you think about the assessment, you can think about, well, how do you make sure that the way that you assess the stressor is appropriate? You know, with COVID, everything is at risk. Your job's at risk. There's all kinds of things. So stressor, check, it is one. But then the second piece of it is, is your assessment of your capabilities. And when I say yours, I don't mean you personally. I mean, what can you personally do? And then what do those who care about you and are willing to support you and help you, what can they do? So they, how do you overcome whatever that risk becomes, right? And so we're, we, we look at this and we go, well, I've got a stressor, but what happens if I lose my job? Well, if you have, uh, if you're really close to retirement, and, and the only reason you're staying is because you want a new fancy car, right? Well, if you lose your job, you just don't get the fancy car. It's not that big a deal. If you're young in your career and you really need paycheck to paycheck, boy, it's a bigger stress. So how do you change these capacities that you have over the long term? You can't do it immediately. But how do you change them? Because when your assessment is high of your coping skills, the overall stress response for your body is much, much lower. So stress is very negative, very impactful, but it's impactful for the for reasons that people don't think about. And because of those reasons, you have a way to cope with it better. So I find this really um, interesting and particularly in your book in terms of the levels of which you are taking this maybe a step deeper into the person, into the way they perceive the world as to their their extent to which maybe they're going to exhibit burnout. I, I'm theorizing. Um, and I'll give you a personal example here, actually. So um, my sister has a, well, I keep talking about it on podcast, she's not going to thank me. Um, but she has had, uh, a, she has much more of a tendency towards anxiety than I do. Um, and when we explore something, if we talk about a, a situation when we were both children, um, our mother was always ridiculously late, and I'm talking hours late. And she perceived that um, as being all about her and she's my younger sister so she perceived that my mother's lateness um, meant that she was unlovable and it resulted in some eating disorders and anxiety I perceived my mother's lateness as being because my mother had no sense of time right and that I think has given me a, 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 a greater resilience but I don't really know where that started um, and I just wonder if there's anything you could share there that might be helpful for listeners as to 
you know, how we can choose more more helpful thought patterns if there is a way in which we can, or is it something we're just born with? Yeah, no. So first of all, let's let's just uh, kind of put a framework around that so the folks can understand. So if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, right, your mom, as you described it, is the world's strongest P. This is time does not matter. It doesn't exist. It's not even it's not even a thing. Absolutely. I'm nodding, I'm nodding listeners. Yeah. She's no longer with us, actually. But yes, uh, yes, she was completely off the scale. I had no sense of time, my father would say. Yeah. And so, OK, so so now you have that as a baseline. This is who she is now. You, there are two choices to it, right? Like you made the choice. This is you accepted her for who she is, and this is a part of her. Good, bad. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Just is. It's a part of her. It actually has nothing to do with you. So your sister has a different interpretation. She feels it's personal, right? Mom's late because she doesn't want to see my dance recital or whatever it is, right? And it's a lot of that, how do you manage the self-talk? Um, and how do you accept other people for who they are? Now, that doesn't mean to accept their behaviors necessarily. It doesn't mean you have to like, oh, mom, it was so great that you missed, you know, my dance recital or piano recital or whatever. You don't have to say, I, I, I love that aspect, but you can say, I love that person. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, kind of broader for just a second, you know, we've got uh, in the United States, we've got a lot of interest and in, in engagement around Black Lives Matter um, in, in Canada, it's First Nations and like everywhere there's how do we how are we treating each other? And, and, and honestly, the answer is acceptance. If you just learn to accept other people as they are, then everything gets better. Right, you don't. Get yeah, to be... does that link to detachment then? So it's it's not seeing yourself because the key is you accept, yep. and you can choose to you can choose. You don't have to like a behaviour, um, but you don't have to let it affect how you view yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah. and there's this whole piece there where, uh, and I was also thinking about you know some of the listeners. I think they're often in quite difficult environments where they can they're conf it's quite hard to be confident in those environments and that can be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy yep. and again i wonder whether that can then lead to more of a sense of burnout because if you're an hr professional in an organization where no one's you don't feel that you're listened to or respected um you've got less of a sense of self-efficacy and you're going to feel you know, maybe you might have a higher propensity to, to burnout because you don't feel empowered. Right. Um, is the thing is what can people do in that circumstance? I think so. I think people, you know, in, in in management, you talk about well, I want the next, I want the next job, right? And the truly, uh, the truly visionary, the truly gifted people will say, well, perform at that job, and then you'll get it, right? And, and people are like, well, but I can't make those decisions and whatever. And it, that's not exactly what they mean. And we don't mean it here. It means if you need to, let's say that you want to move out a specialist role uh, doing benefits and you want to be more of a generalist who's managing uh, retention, right? Well, how do you do that? Well, you go build the skills to go do retention because that's the thing you want to learn. And you learn how to do employee engagement and psychology and and programs and you learn all that stuff and what happens is eventually when you've learned it when you have taken the time the energy and done the self-development to do that then you'll make a comment and it won't get dismissed and people will go oh that's interesting i hadn't thought about that 
Um, and then that's your lead, right? That's that's where you, you you walk into that space and you go, yes, and oh, by the way, X and Y and Z. And I, I think that one of the greatest challenges for human resources folks is getting caught up in the tactical, right? I, I, I Not so nicely, I call it hiring and firing, racking and stacking, right? It's we, we get people, we, we get rid of people, like... And, and they're like a commodity. And I think we get so stuck in that. And I put myself in this boat too, right? We get so stuck in that, that we fail to look past and go, you know what? If I actually changed my retention, I wouldn't have to hire as many people and I wouldn't be so darn busy. Um, but the organization has adapted and it's learned that the, the professionals, the HR professionals, as a rule, not saying individuals, but as a rule, don't think that way. And because of that, they don't engage, the business doesn't engage you that way. When you build that capacity internally, right, then then they'll come back to you. And I, and, and I say that like, oh, and then the magic happens, right? Like you've just got to build that. Um, and I think listening to podcasts like this one, uh, being a part of the associations and really connecting with your peers and spending time on those hard challenges, right? Like thinking about what would need to change for me to have more time, right? Those those sorts of things, these, these kinds of things, these are the things that cause you to be perceived differently. Now, if that, you have- That's a really good point. So it's just on that, I'll let you carry on because, because um, I think so many people have been stuck and particularly over this period of time, the COVID, there's been lots of tactical things that have been thrown at HR, whether it's furloughing people or bringing them back for, fur for furlough or redundancy. So suddenly they've been pushed into that kind of area, which as soon as this stops, or even it's more important now than ever to be taking that time to reach out to your network, to, to listen and invest in yourself by listening to podcasts and things to help you go, oh, hang on, it's time for me to step back. And I'm in the same thing with my business. I've talked about marketing. We've been so busy doing doing things, webinars, blah, blah, blah. I've suddenly gone, okay, what about the business as usual? We need to take a step back, take a breath and look up again because we have been in it for four or five months. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, so I took, I'm taking you off course there. I don't know if you can relink to where you were. Yeah, there's no taking us off course. We're going wherever we're going. It's all good. <laughs> it's a journey. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I, I sympathize because I think all of us at some point in our lives have had this self-talk, this, this conversation with ourselves about how we're not good enough. We're not great enough. We're not doing enough. By the way, enough is an awful thing. What is mm. enough for what? Yeah. Right. Enough to survive enough, enough to, to have a big house or have a great holiday or like what, what is it enough for what? Um, and uh, one of the other things that we, one of the practical things that we, we share with folks about the, uh, the way that you talk to yourself is you'd never talk to another human being the way you talk to yourself. You never would. And yeah. if your best friend saw you, someone else talking to you the way you talk to yourself, they'd probably knock them out, right? Because you don't talk to yourself fair. Now, there's some of that is you've heard other people's voices. Some of that's the way that you interpret things. We were, you were mentioning earlier uh, about just kind of the way that you view things and what you have control of. Um, but 
you know, I have to tell you that I've never met a person who does not have something about them that has some value. Um, there have been a couple of people I've been tempted to say they convert oxygen into carbon dioxide as their <laughs> value, but... Um, <laughs> But Not many of them. The vast majority have got plenty to offer. And right, often, exactly. often it's the and people who think they've got the least of who have the most. Yeah. So, and that's the thing again, though, isn't it? So this whole self-esteem, self-image thing, is, is, there, is there a relationship with burnout there? Well, yeah, people... because you don't feel effective, right? Like, so of course, yes. If, if, you think, if you think about it, so I, well, but I, I'm not good enough. Well, then you don't feel effective. If you felt effective, you can't say I'm not good enough. Yeah, yeah feel effective so think about if you're feeling stressed say thinking about where are you being effective and and there's something about doing things that you're good at isn't that even if you're actually okay I can't affect anything here but I'm I'm really highly effective at making cakes or washing up (laughs) go and do something that makes you feel effective right like my my wife loves 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 hydrangeas right like plants in general backyard but hydrangeas are the thing if if she feels like she's not being effective at work she will go out and talk to her plants and pet their leaves and really just kind of connect with, man, I am really good at growing hydrangeas. There's, by the way, there's like 50 of them around here. So I think we're good, but. Oh yeah. I was, I, well, blue, are they blue ones or pink ones? Cause that's about your soil, isn't it? But, well, um, so yes, we have both. There's all, there are also oak leaf hydrangeas. There's snowballs. Like, Every kind of hydrangea that you could think of, we have. We have to Oh, wow. Send us a picture. Send us a picture. Yeah, I can do that. But that's, but that's her way of, of, of being self-efficacious. That's her right. way of, of taking control of the situation, and that recharges her then. Right. Having that, that thing. Yeah. And, and it's, one of the things that's really interesting is, so we say that you can have burnout in different areas of your life, and they cross-feed. Like, if you feel incredibly effective as a parent, and you go to work, and you go to your job and you feel like you get nothing done, no problem. You'll be okay. Because at home, your kids are rock star, superstar students and on the varsity teams and blah, 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 blah. Right. Now, by the way, I don't recommend you think that way, but but it's a way that you can say, I'm effective, check. Right. Um, and vice versa, right? Like if you're struggling at home and strug- and work's pulling you down, or excuse me, home's pulling you down, if you feel like you're really clicking on all cylinders, you're really functioning at work, you'll be okay. You'll stay out of burnout. Now, you shouldn't allow those things to, to happen like that for long because eventually, you know, if, if, if home's bad and work's good, eventually work's going to fall apart because it does. Um, uh, so I wouldn't stay in that situation, but it will crossfeed. So if you don't feel effective at work and you're really good at a hobby, you know, maybe you're really good at underwater basket weaving. I don't know why you have to do underwater basket weaving, but if you were, do more of that and hang the baskets up and say, hey, this is, you know, this is some of my work. This is the stuff that, that I do that's really good. So in your, um, one of the things that you talked about, burnout without depletion, is that what you're talking about there? Or is that different? Are you saying that sometimes you can burn out um, and not, and it's not the end of the world or? Yeah, so, so, let, me, so let me give you one of the models from the book. Uh, and so we've got two models for burn- burnout, and they all really land in the same place, but but just different ways of thinking about it. Um, and so we use this ma- uh, model called the personal agency bathtub. And so you think of your clawfoot bathtub, an old olden bathtub, and the water that's in it is your personal agency, your ability to get things done. It's filled by three things. You know, most folks only have one spigot coming into their bathtubs. Well, 
Well, this one has three. It's first of all your results, and by the way, to the degree to which you recognize them and you accept them. Yeah, I did do a good job. Second is support. What support am I getting from others? And oh, by the way, you get way more support if you ask for it. Three is self-care. And what are you doing to take care of yourself? Like we were talking about Terry and the hydrangeas. Yeah. The fourth part of the model is, or fifth, I suppose, if you want to count the bathtub as one, is the demands. Now, see, the drain on the bathtub are the demands that are on you. And unlike a normal bathtub, this has a valve on it. You can learn to say no. You can look for those things where this is not worth the energy I would have to invest in it to make it work. Yeah. So pushing back on things, yes, actually. So just some, sometimes people don't think to do that. We're in a habit of being very willing or saying yes. Um, again, literally, I just spoke to a colleague of mine today and, and they were talking about when they were quite stressed about something and it was an external, we were, we were going to a virtual um, Oh, presentation. We had to set something at one of these conferences, an external conference, sorry, that was all online. So yeah. suddenly loads of work that had to be done. And we were given a deadline two weeks before it going live. And it, that was an extremely short deadline. So we were only given about eight days to get everything ready for it. And she felt under huge stress because she felt she had to meet that deadline. Um, and I was like, well, in reality, they gave us that deadline because it was for them. And and because lots of people don't meet deadlines. So right. there's a concept, sometimes we're our own worst. So, so what's the worst if we actually went back and say, we'll negotiate a later deadline? Right. It really, and that's something that sometimes remember that's our valve. Lots of us, our habits are to say, oh my goodness, I've got to meet that deadline and I don't, it's not okay to ask for something different. Um, and again, it's like taking the step back, isn't it? And, yep. and thinking in the big picture, as long as everything's ready by the date that the actual show goes live, it's got to be fine. So two weeks ahead seems a bit ridiculous right. and puts us under unreasonable stress. Right. So, but it's, you've got to have that, again, you've probably got to have that sense of self-efficacy. Yep. I think one of the things that's hard is when you are feeling down, you feel less likely to yep. ask for that, don't you? Less able to almost support yourself or ask for help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, let me roll back for one second, then I'll roll forward to that to that spot. Yeah. But but let me roll back and say, the other thing that we find with demands is most of the demands that people have on them aren't other people's demands. Most of them are the demands that we place on ourselves. So yeah. in this example, what does it mean to be ready? Right? Like your colleague has something that they think this means. But I guarantee you that the client does not have the same understanding. The client probably has A, B, C, and D. And your colleague probably added E, F, G, H, I, J, K, right? Yeah. And they think all of these things have to be done. All of these things are a part of that. And that, that's not necessarily the case. So um, how, do you be, how, how do you stand up to demand when you don't feel effective, when you feel down. Uh, so the short answer is uh, asking a question. And the question is, and so what else are we moving out because you're adding this thing to my plate? Um, yes. And, and as a manager, so when, when I'm coaching managers, I'm coaching managers to always ask, like to always look for that, right? And be willing to, what am I taking off your plate? so that you can meet this new demand, this new commitment I'm asking you for. So that's um, a way of managing your valves, isn't it? On the yep. bathtub 
piece. So can you remind me, I've written down, I was writing these down out of this. What were the four areas? Again, I've got results and self-care and there was another one, wasn't there? Support. And support. Yeah. Okay. So that's asking for help, isn't it? Exactly that. Okay. Yeah. And we're lousy at it. We're really lousy at asking for help. There, a lot of people are like, well, but they should just know I need help. No, they don't. They have their own lives. They have their own thoughts. And I, okay. So I'm going to take this off of work for just a second, right? Like, so men, if you think your wife knows what you need, right? You're wrong, right? And I don't mean that because you got a bad wife. You got a great wife, right? But you're, you're looking at it like she's psychic. We don't have psychics. Like, I don't have any psychics that I know, but if you guys know some, maybe introduce me. But I, I, we're not psychic. And, and the opposite works too. Ladies, if yeah. you need something and your husband isn't giving it to you or your boyfriend or whatever, um, I've got a crazy idea. Ask him. Yeah, communicate about it. And then at least, and then at least you know one way or another. So that was one, that was one model, wasn't it? So what was the second model of burnout? Um, the second model, so that's really, so this model is, um, that's kind of your personal advocacy and present and forward. Um, the other model is a gap model. And it's because the way that we really truly evaluate and end up in burnout is we look at the past and we say, in the past, I've not been effective. And so the model is about the gap between our expectations and reality, our expectations and our perception of what we got done. And so both of those things, it's the gap that gets us, right? Like if the gap is too large, we can't step across it. We can't jump across it. We, we, we've, we're caught. And the thing is, both of those are perceptions. Our expectation is obviously a perception. It's our expectation of what we're going to get done. We perceive that we should be able to leap small buildings in a single bound, uh, to connect to your superhero book. Um, and the other part is our results. One of the things I said about the bathtub model is the results you recognize. A lot of times we do amazing things that we don't even recognize we're doing amazing things. We don't acknowledge and accept it, right? Like somewhere along the way, our mom, or our dad said, we, you know, well, don't get too big. Don't, don't get heady or don't, you know, whatever. Don't puff yourself up. Don't pull your own horn, whatever it was that they said. And the problem with that is that taken to extreme, we don't accept and recognize what it is that we are good at and what other people can't do. Right. We were talking, we were talking kind of before we started the recording about like, Oh, I just happen to have a video recording studio. I just happen to, um, and, and for me, it's my normal, right? It's, it's my normal to walk upstairs and five minutes later be recording. And I get, I have to get reminded occasionally that's not normal. That's not, like, that's not what normal people do. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I don't want to be normal then. But. <laughs> so if we kind of progress this, on, I suppose, because in terms of the We've talked about some strategies for preventing burnout, and we'll perhaps go into that last because um, I think I've already written down some bullets of things that we've covered already. Um, one of the other things I was just interested in, you have this chapter about hope, um, and I was just interested in that to explore what you meant by that in relation to this topic. Yeah, so so again, kind of putting it back to connecting all the pieces, right? So inefficacy, I don't feel effective. I don't feel like I can make a change. I feel helpless. Um the difference between helpless and hopeless is not very big. So 
if you look at the the work of C.R. Snyder, uh, he wrote a book called The Psychology of Hope, and he broke down hope into two pieces. He broke hope into uh, willpower, and I'll come back to that in a second, because that's the thing that we all kind of know about, and way power. Way power is just about knowing how to do it, right? And so our ability to hope is built upon a little bit of faith and willpower and knowing what to do next. Um, and so one of the things that we do to help restore hope to people is we have them think about small, measurable, incremental goals, little things that can be done that can help move them forward to the end goal. Even if they don't know how to get there, they can get closer. Um, and I think that it, it, be, it makes it easier. Willpower, I skipped over, um, willpower is an exhaustible resource, right? It's, it's our energy, it's our put forward, and it's the thing that people who are struggling, who are, who are down, who are depressed, they don't have much of it. And that's why you need to build little pieces of way power that'll move people a little bit further so that they can get there and they can go look back on it, say, hey, I got results. Yeah. And then go, okay, so now I got a little bit more willpower and I can figure out another little step and I can move on and on and on and on. So it's I like a mini that, investment which recharges you to then you feel stronger. So you're just stepping your way out of, of, yep. of it and yep. hopelessness. Yep. And it's and it's hope. We you know, hope is a super powerful thing. I can tell you the times in my life that were the worst. The absolute worst. Now you think about all the things that are the absolute worst and and um, divorces and and I unfortunately lost a brother in 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 it was the loss of hope when I look back on it, it was the loss of hope that was the thing that was really bad and so now I worry about I think about I plan for how do I continue to create hope in my world and that some of it is about just picking yourself having that bit of faith maybe what if and even if you're having to say questions to yourself like okay so what could be the possibility in the future? I'm thinking this, some of this links to change, doesn't it? Yep. Which we won't go into, but we've both got an interest in the whole sort of when you hit the depression at the base of the curve, you know, how can you think about what possibly could happen right. in the future that might be good? Right. Um, and, and then maybe take those baby steps, as you're saying, with the willpower. Um, and that, that to me, it's interesting because I think when I'm, when I am feeling quite demotivated, I find I get, if I just make myself get up and, and just, do one little chunk, you know, that sort of eat the elephant, chunk. do one little bit and then I go and then do another little bit. And then before you know it, it's the afternoon and, and you've actually had quite a productive day, but it's right. just that's taking that first step, isn't it? Right. And I, people think it's too big, right? Like, and, and, and the trick is, how do you break that down into something just super tiny? Right. Like yeah. uh, sometimes, so we have plants and I, and in the, in the office, we have an indoor pergola. Think about that for a minute. Um, uh, but sometimes when Terry can't get going of a morning, she'll stop and she'll water the plants. And it takes three minutes, five minutes, something like that. And then, wow, she's already got something done for the morning, right? And then she Absolutely. can go do the next thing. Um, and a lot of times those little kind of random things that we didn't take care of have a weight on us that we don't even recognize. Um, for me, I have a messy desk. I have a, like, it's piles of randomness. And... I can tell you that I feel better if I will take the 10 minutes it takes to clean up the thing, organize my notes and blah, blah, blah. But I don't do it most of the time. I do yeah. it only when I'm struggling and I can't figure out how to move forward. I think that's another interesting, we could go down a whole other path, but it's, it's. I'm just thinking 
during lockdown, when I've had my best days, I get up in the morning and I get out with the dogs first thing. It's the very first thing I do, which then is a tick in my, I've got some exercise done. Check. I feel a bit sort of loosened up. I've listened, usually I listen to a podcast. So I've invested in my mental health, of physical health, and I sit down, I'm kind of more alert. And, and then, and, and I'm definitely more productive on those days. Um, and you feel prouder of yourself somehow. It's just that sort of emotional bank account with yourself. Um, yep. And you know the opposite is true on different days. And I know there's lots of people who have rituals in the morning. There's that, a book called The Miracle Morning, which some people really swear by in terms of getting up, doing similar type things. Yeah. But certainly those little investments in ourselves early, that would also link to us building our willpower because it's our trust with yeah. ourselves, isn't it? Yeah. So, okay, so bringing this up to, to wrapping up in the next five minutes or so, um, I'm just going to remind, I'd like to kind of, we've covered lots of topics and I'll ask you to maybe add some extra strategies if we haven't covered anything but I just wanted to remind us back of the things that we've talked about um, in terms of useful tools that I'm thinking I would like to take away from this so the main thing really I was seeing that we said is that it's about efficacy burnout if, if you feel that you're, you're more at risk at burnout if you don't feel that you are efficacious you're not in control of, of what you're doing you don't feel you can have an impact on your surroundings so the key would be work out where you can, even if it is watering the flowers or whatever it is, but find areas in your life where you can feel control and, and be kind to yourself. Watch that self-talk, making sure that um, you're recognising when you're doing a good job. Find ways in which you can demonstrate good willpower, however minor, if it's going for a five-minute walk, you know, say you'll do a five-minute walk and go and do that five-minute walk. Um, so be positive to yourself. I was then thinking this whole thing about how we think about how we view ourselves and it's chicken and egg. Um, in terms of the self-image. So I, I didn't say it earlier, but when you were talking about maybe people just need to act in a certain way, they need to step away from the transactional stuff. And it's that adage of fake it till you make it almost. So act like you're a strategic person and you know where you are strategically, and then people will start to view you strategically. So the keys are in our hands there, I felt, in terms of the self-image. And the same thing also about us being more strategic. All of us feel a bit reactive at the moment, taking a pause, looking up, take stock. And and the final one other one, which I thought was really valid, which is if you feel like you've got lots of demands being made on yourself, is that actually about the external demands? Or is that actually about the demands you're putting on yourself? Are you putting yourself under pressure to be super person? Yeah. Um, or actually, could you push back and negotiate different terms and feel fine with it? Um, so and because of course actually it's almost it's so much worse isn't it to miss a deadline um, that you said you would than it is to manage expectations of being controlled so again that's being uh, it's efficacious isn't it I think is that the right term it is for yourself medicines um, yeah so that's being efficacious so those are those are things that I've written down that I hope I hope the audience would get obviously that's not everything we've covered um, I've thrown a load at you there but are there any other sort of lasting thoughts that you'd add for people to prevent burnout that are worth covering in the last yeah, few minutes. So, so, let me, so let me do two things. Let me go first back to fake it till you make it. Um, I actually don't like that as a saying. I, I, I think we're right on the the, the, the intent and the, and the where you are, um, but it bugs me because it erodes your own self-trust. Um, so think about the this. the word fake? What's Is that? it because of the word fake? Yeah. Is it because of the word fake? Yeah. 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 So, so think about this. Um, and, and this will lead us into the second part, which is trust. So here's the thing. If you hold uh, a, a liter of milk out, all right, and you hold it out at arm's length and you hold it at your level and you just hold it there, how long are you going to be able to hold it there before your arm gets tired? Well, not very long. 
If you do the same thing and you hold it close to your chest, is it longer or shorter? Well, much, much longer, right? Yeah. Here's the thing. That, that liter of milk is the perception of you. The further out you hold that from you, the harder it is to hold. And as you continue to try and hold it out there, it takes more and more energy. It consumes more and more of who you are to fake that other person. So um, I, I do think that you have to behave in a way that is strategic. You have to you have to actively engage in developing your ability to think strategically. I think the magic is by being concerned about it, by being focused on it, you will actually develop that skill. Um, so it's not, you don't have to go through some masterclass on strategy. Yeah. And what you're so, but I took from that leader thing is the point is you're more authentic. So it's not fake it till you make it by being a superstar yep. um, out here. It's actually just taking small incremental steps that are still congruent, um, but in that direction. Yep. Absolutely. It, whether it's asking asking a question about, okay, so how does that align with the strategy or talking to somebody about it? Just the little bits. And then in time, with time, those will become more and more comfortable and yeah. more authentic. Yeah. And, and that's how you'll end up there. So it's, yes, it is a subtle difference, isn't it? It's just taking baby steps in the right direction. But you have to, you have to know that you want to go in that direction to remember to do it, don't you? Yes. And that, that's the key. Yep, absolutely. So that really leads us to trust, right? So I brought that because that is about trust in ourselves, trusting that we can be authentic. And it's really critical to trust ourselves. We talked about self-talk. Self-talk is actually built on self-trust. And self-trust is the belief that if I say I'm going to do something, I actually do it. Uh, if I, you know, you, you, you kind of let in the part that, that, that led me to this was the idea that um, if you make a commitment, you meet it or you renegotiate it. And if you do those two things over and over and over and over again, you build a lot of trust both in yourself and other people in you. Um, and, it, and it is a powerful, powerful thing uh, for resisting the, the, the pull of burnout. I think burnout is kind of like this black hole that tries to suck everybody in, right? If you have a great deal of trust in yourself, and by the way, um, if you can't trust in yourself right now, because there are people, um, you know, some of the work that Terry and I do as uh, philanthropy is, is, is addiction work. There are people that don't trust themselves. They just yeah. don't. If you can't trust in yourself, trust in someone else, right? Find yeah. someone else that you can trust in, lean on them for a short time, not forever. Lean on them until you can rebuild your trust. And, and but that trust, it. that core trust is, is super important to being a healthy human, a mentally healthy human, um, and, and therefore staying out of burnout. That's great. That's a really good link because actually um, I've just recorded a podcast on that very topic of trust. Um, so I was really, so I, I, and it's, isn't it interesting how they all loop together and you're using that analogy of the black hole, which I also use that in terms of well-being. Because again, my, my sister, her thing with um, anxiety or depression was about falling into that black hole. So it's about circumventing. So it all comes together, doesn't it? These, these things that we can do for ourselves. The key thing about this, I really like this, is absolutely uh, something that we can manage ourselves we can choose to take control which is the best way in which you can avoid burnout essentially yeah. and i suppose for us as helping others then we have to empower people and give them the tools and the support and the encouragement to take control 
Yeah. And that's a whole other subject. We've not got time to go into. I was thinking, isn't it interesting when you've got someone who doesn't want to? But maybe that's another topic. <laughs> I'm going to stop it there because we've been going quite a few minutes. Um, but Robert, thank you so much for, for um, being so generous with your time. It was I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, if people wanted to connect with you or get hold of you, how would they find you? Uh, I'm not hard to find. Uh, the best place for them to start the journey would be probably extinguishburnout.com. Um and if you say, yeah, well, I'm not interested in, in burnout at all, but but I'd like to know more about you, uh, ThorProjects.com, which is, you know, the Viking god of war and thunder, um, been popular in the movies lately. Uh, yeah. ThorProjects.com. Uh, and that's where I keep my blog. And I and, and I think you know, we were talking before show that I read and review a book every single week, uh, including yours. So yes. um, people can come there and they can find out what I'm reading and it's generally psychology or leadership or something. Well, I'll definitely put a link to both of those websites on, on the show notes. Um, so we can put that, put you there as well. Um, and they can, people reach out to you on LinkedIn. I know you're on there too, because that's yep. where I um, we, we met in the first place. So thank you hugely for your time, Robert. I really enjoyed um, having you on the show. And uh, thank you for coming on the HR Uprising podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.